0: helicopter I search for marijuana Policemen in the streets searching for Cali to burn up the herbs and the herb feel burning the car I search for marijuana Policemen in the streets searching for Cali weed But if you continue to burn up the herbs, we gonna burn down the cane field. If you continue to burn up the herbs, we gonna burn down the cane field. Police in Helicopter. For policemen in the streets searching for Kali weed. policemen in the fields burning the Caliweed. But if you continue to burn up the herbs, we're gonna burn down the cane fields. If you continue to burn up the herbs, we're gonna burn down the cane fields. We don't trouble your banana, we don't trouble your corn, we don't trouble your pimento, we don't trouble you at all,
1: so if you continue to burn up... Hold oh, not by peace, O oh God of my salvation, because the mouth of the wicked out of the circle is open. I'm with I I chop been foot dread And the man throw one stone, And it bring about the feeling to all wicked men Only when man like Marcus Garvey speak Wicked men would hear You I hear Instead of that, they only sit aside and rob and cheat And oppress the poor May God, what a sin thing Now a bingy throw one stone And it bring about the feelings to all wicked men What a black bingy man throw one stone And it bring about the feelings to all wicked men If Rasta make a progressive move Wicked men are red I, 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 uh-uh. I, I, I How they want to see The days when them can send out Rasta Can send I out, I send out Babylon Bingy man throw one stone And it bring a bad feeling to all we can
2: Yes, I, one stone here from KPO San Francisco. Every week we come together here. We do our best to dissect, to analyze, and ultimately to change America's love affair with its present systems. On top of this hour, I want to give a levitation to my brethren, Bato, wherever you are out there. Blessed on the high plains, my brother want to give thanks to my brother David Banks. David Banks, uh, drive safely out there, brethren. Brother Robert and Robert Uyugi as well. Jagong, Sister Rajni, Renee, Jabon, Chesedek the Herbalist, President Brown, Sister Aki. Yes, if I left your name out, yeah. Give thanks for tuning in to 89.5 FM. KPO.com, that's when you log in on your computer and be connected to us and try, you know, to figure out what is uh, happening. What is the latest that is happening today? We definitely want to report back and give a shout out to the people of the town McFarland. And that town McFarland is where people had a change of mind. And where they were saying that the Mesa Verde Detention Center, run by the GEO and and contracted out by ICE, that that center would close down. Uh, That center uh, facilitates about 300 men and 100 women. Uh, uh, you know, in different stages of the legal process in terms of their immigration. So obviously these places are packed to capacity, especially when it is run by the GEO. So when we're talking about um, the, the the GEO and uh, these contract facilities, Then it's important to note that for the past three decades, immigration detention population has increased dramatically, reaching historic heights even under the Obama administration. And to manage the growing detainee population, ICE has increasingly turned to contracted facilities, such as uh, for-profit corporations and county jails. So those for-profit organizations that we are talking about, the the main player amongst them, the main uh, person, the main uh, organization to make these big profits is obviously the GEO. And these contract facilities, uh, including those run uh, for profit, like I said, the GAO, operate outside of the the purview of the public, of public oversight, of accountability, of transparency, and all transparency, all of those things that we need, you know, in order to monitor what is happening uh, over there, with no one to hold them accountable. These private companies which are incentivized to cut medical staffing, to cut um, or to deny care, to maximize the, the, the shareholder return, to maximize the profit. Because when they go in, they are definitely telling ICE, listen, we are able to uh, hold 400 of these inmates for you. This is what it will cost. If you send them to other jails it, uh, w- operated by this and this, it will cost you so much and so much and so much. And immediately, ISIS is looking at the uh, profits, at the uh, c- kind of cuts that they could make. And that's how the GEO Uh, then ultimately uh, move into the space and then operate these detention facilities. Now, the people of McFarland or the town of McFarland, they were actually paid $35,000 per year by ICE so that the contract for these detention facilities can specifically go to the GEO. Now, in the earlier in the week or maybe a couple of uh, days ago, there was questions about whether these facility, whether that specific facility, Misa Verde, whether that facility would close and what would happen to the about 400 um, immigrants that is uh, being kept uh, or detained in that facility. Because it means that those people, they couldn't be transferred anywhere into in the state of California, because uh, according to the uh, 2017 state law, these uh, little cities and counties they are actually prevented. They are uh, they you know the state law prevent them for from uh, uh, entering into new uh, contracts with ICE um, uh, for these detention facilities, and therefore. The other jurisdictions around them or counties, there's no way out where to move these people. And the idea was that these people would be moved out of uh, state, making it even more difficult for family members and for visits and for, you know, for accountability and transparency and knowing what is happening to your family member. So because 22 immigrants have died in these ICE detention centers for, for the just for the two years of the Trump administration. Twenty two. And, uh, and and including the, the, the brethren uh Branka Zravkovich Zravkovich he was a Slovenian waiter and he committed suicide while staying in one of these removal centers. So obviously when we're talking about twenty two people Dead, then even one of one person is too much. So now ISIS stepped in directly and signed a contract directly with the GEO because the people in, in McFarlane has had a change of mind. For them, they didn't want to be connected to this kind of oppression anymore. So they refused to, to have anything to do with the GEO. Thank God for those people whose eyes have been opened, whose awareness have come upon them like lightning strike into the mind. So now the ICE have signed an agreement with the GEO until and have the contract to still operate the Masse Verde, uh, detention facility until uh, March of 2020. And, of course, when that contract ends, then I know that, uh, according to the state law, it won't be able to open another detention facility for ICE in that particular area. So those are some of the issues that we want to bring to people's attention, and we want to say that those activists and lawyers that were standing up and and, and confused where these people would be moving to, um, at least we have a situation whereby you know, uh, people could actually be close to um, their family members and those detained under the draconian laws of uh, ICE. And, uh, of course, the main player, the for-profit player, the GEO, that's like one of the private companies in the US of A that makes big, big, big money out of uh, uh, incarcerating people right here in the U.S. of A. Yes, we're listening to uh, KPO and we right here on Present Focus, and we will definitely come back uh, with Sister Nube on the line, and then also have um, um, somebody that we would be talking to. KPO, San Francisco.
3: Crazy Horse, we hear what you say, one earth, one mother, one does not sell the earth, the people walk upon, we are the land, how do we sell our mother, how do we sell the star, how do we sell the air, Crazy Horse, we hear what you say. Too many people standing their ground, standing the wrong ground. Predator's face, he possessed a race, possession, a war that doesn't end. Children of God feed on children of earth. Days people don't care for people these days are the hardest material fields material harvest decoration on chain that binds mirrors gold the people lose their minds crazy horse we hear what you say one earth One mother. One does not sell the earth. The people walk upon. We are the land.
2: Yes, and you're listening to John Trudell, Crazy Horse, here on KPO San Francisco Prison Focus. KPO can be heard on smart speakers as well. So if you have a smart speaker that run on Alexa, Google Assistant, or Siri, you can just say, hey Siri, uh, play KPO, and the speaker will play KPO. So here on KPO, every week we come together, me and Nube on the line. Sometimes Charles Cabone is here too. And, but Sister Nube is on the line. Good morning to you Nube. How are you?
4: Ah, uh, Good morning Brother Leonard and good morning to all of our listeners out there, um, caged and uncaged. Uh, Thank you so much for all that you spoke about in the beginning, Brother Leonard. You know, these are all iterations of modern-day slavery that's taking place in our nation's prisons and detention centers. And um, the negative effects are definitely um, far-reaching, especially to our family members. And I would like to... Um, remind folks that the section clause to the 13th Amendment says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Um, so it is real, people. Um, prison slavery is happening inside of our Uh, prisons and detention centers. But like you, Brother Leonard, it was so beautiful giving thanks to all those folks and more. And I, too, just want to give thanks to all the folks on the front line of Prisoners Human Rights. rights. So, you know, we're
2: trying to talk here from our uh, 12 by 20 space. The space that I'm sitting in here, uh, in in the studio here, is just maybe three times as big or as large, maybe four times as large as those cells that people have in the shoe, for instance. You know, I'm just thinking about that.
4: Indeed, very very good point, and and um, thank you for uh, bringing that forward because that's real. And um, we are, as we had promised last week. We are going to be reading um, over the next over the next four weeks an essay from the six by ten uh stories from from solitary of thirteen essays, and one of them uh, that we are going to be focusing on is by Michael Zaharibu Doro, who is a California prison focused contributor and correspondent and so um, as promised I would like to read his greeting um, so we can get started with that Um, here we go greetings I have been out of solitary confinement now for three years and two months I was moved to the level two yard here at CSP Solano in September 2018 I am continuing on the journey to heal, the journey can be challenging, because healing must occur in healthy environments, and prisons, like the larger society, remains unhealthy. And because the nation is so saturated with hate, creating a healthy space for collective healing is what I believe must occur. I cannot heal, become whole, unless we do so together. Can women heal from the centuries-old non stop assault on their humanity as long as patriarchal, authoritarian, sexist, misogynistic hate exists? We must create collective healthy spaces for each other because we cannot fight from unhealthy spaces. Fighting from unhealthy spaces can cause us to become just like those that oppress us and deny us our humanity. Healing for me must mean that when I look at you, whoever you are, I will see a reflection of myself, without my many flaws, of course. Smile. Thank you for the privilege of engaging with you. I love you. I appreciate you. I respect you. Your brother. Za.
2: And wow, I also do wow, want to give a definitely looking forward to um to the essay and, and understanding and trying to figure out what it is that this book that you're talking about really want to teach and show us. Also on the line, I have uh, Sister Valerie. Uh, Valerie, how are you, Valerie? I'm fine, thank you. As long as you can hear us, we can hear you perfectly well. We also have on the other side uh, Nube for your information, Valerie. So Nube, I'm going to give it over to you as well to go.
4: Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you. And I do want to give a shout-out to KPOO, um, one of the the few platforms that gives voice to um, those most marginalized, which I believe is the prisoner class and their families. So, again, this is a wonderful opportunity. Valerie, it's really great to have you here. Um, I do want to remind our listeners that we have been talking about the issues that have been taking place in Corcoran State Prison and other uh, uh, prisons in California regarding Uh, Modified programming, uh, also known as merged yards, um, and gladiator fights, And I would like to um, uh, bring on Valerie, or introduce Valerie. She is from La Puente down in Southern California, whose loved one is currently housed in Corcoran State Prison. And she is going to be here to talk to us about... um, uh, what's going on, and, you know, we've been getting, getting reports of the ongoing policy decision being made by CDCR to implement what they are calling the uh, modified programming and others are calling gladiator fights. So, Valerie, um, yes. please, I w- would love you to share with us, with the listening audience, um, what this means and um, share with us what the real and personal con- consequences of this policy on your family and loved ones is is about. Okay. I would love to do that. Okay, um, my brother,
5: he's been in prison for 21 years. He's actually been in prison longer than he's been out. Um, this has, this wow. modified programming is basically lockdown. That's exactly what it is. They're not getting anything. No um, food from commissary. They're basically like starving them. No food from commissary. Um, they're serving them their breakfasts frozen. They're just, whatever they can to just take away from them, that's what they're doing. But anyways, um, his family is the biggest motivator for him. It's his biggest incentive to want to do better, to make positive changes within himself, his attitude, and his thought process and the way he thinks. Uh, visits. That's what inspires him the most. Like, that's when he has his family to come. He gets to talk to his wife, to his kids. You know, That's where he, he builds himself up. All, him being on lockdown has disheartened him it's like kind of just taking all the progress that he's been making and falling back
2: yeah i would valerie i would like for you um to let me and the listeners know if you're going to visit him what is the time when you get up in the morning get whoever is going with you ready and then driving up there or however you get up there, please tell us how you get up there. What is the situation? And then just take us through the the, the visiting center. What is happening? What do you have to go through? Maybe it's easy to go through there. Maybe it's not so easy.
5: Okay. Visiting is a, it, I mean, it takes a lot of planning because the prisons are not close, close by As you know, they isolate them, they put them in rural um, cities far away. They try to take them as far away from the public as they can. And um, so, you know, it's depending on what what prison you're in, it takes hours to get there. Right now he's at Corcoran, so it's about a three and a half hour to four hour drive. So that means getting up at 4.30 in the morning so that you can get ready, make sure that you have everything, all the documentation you need to be able to get in. You know, you have everything prepared, you're gassed up and you go. So it's. Your day really starts around four thirty in the morning. You don't get to get and you, depending on what time your visiting time is, usually around ten ten thirty, and you still get there and you still have to wait to get processed in. It's it's a long process. It's exhausting. It's not like we're just down the street from them. It's really far, and that's why a lot of guys don't get visits or a lot of them don't get visits because it's so far away. It's a financial burden, but it's a long and process. How-
2: how are you feeling with you and your family? How is that?
5: Sorry, no, Visiting centers, are, they're really like, it's, I mean, you're going through security. It's, you're getting patted down. You're getting checked for everything. Every little thing counts. Like your, your bras, they cannot have any wire underneath. You know how many times I've seen girls get told to, that they have to go, so they're in the parking lot trying to rip open their bras to get these underwires out and stuff? Like certain colors, you can't wear certain colors or certain types of material, or they won't let you in. And to be turned away after you drove so far, yeah, and they're not nice about it either. it's like I don't like what you're wearing. you need you need to go change or your visits canceled, you know they're very they're not not too polite, they're very rude, so it's just a, it's and
4: do you a feel process of getting are, in there. and are these and are these restrictions all of these rules and and regulations that they have, are they easily accessible so that you are prepared when you get there because it's
5: um if you go online and, and do the research, yeah. But how many people do that? You have some, uh, people that are, you know, uh, English is their second language, mm-hmm. or you know, yes, they just mm-hmm. don't have the technology. Even though we all think that everybody should, a lot of people can't afford it. Cost of living is so high Absolutely. that it's not everybody has access to a computer in their house or, or um, internet through their cell phone. They might just have basic. So you know, there's people that just don't know. But even right. if you and then what happen, really, when you you're bring it supposed to be, children. they'll find something wrong with you.
4: Right. And then what happens if you bring children? So how does that affect um if you run into these problems? So if they're how not your children then you have to have family? like a documentation.
5: You have to have affidavits and stuff, um saying that you are allowed to take them in. There's documentation okay. on them too. It's not just, oh, I have a child with me, they're gonna go in. No. And with all of these There's paperwork uh, for everything. With these issues that are, uh, go ahead. People that do go on a a regular basis to visit their loved ones, they get their visits cut short. Oh, you're here all the time, so we're going to cut your hours. They don't care that you drive hours and hours to get there. You know, they don't care about that. If they see your face there a lot, like if you're really supportive to your uh, loved ones, they'll cut your visit. You know, and now you have to go home. Your kids are there to see their dad, and their visits cut short they don't hardly see them anyways, and then when they do get to see them for, what, two, three hours after you've already driven, three, four, five, six hours?
4: So, and so how do you feel um, about, because it's it's the the thread that I'm hearing from you, is that there seems to be um, really a lack of care or vision around these decisions that, and the guards are making around um, these lockdowns and, uh, these um, these denials of, of of visiting time and uh, making things difficult. that seems to have a, a far farther reaching effect than just what happens when you're there. Well, do you want to talk oh, a yeah, little it bit d- about definitely that? Definitely spills out over
5: the walls. You know, they, when when they when they um, discipline the men in there, it doesn't just stay in there. It affects the families. It affects you know the outside too. It it, it affects the way your household runs, because when you're used to having um, that contact with your, even if it's only once a week, or once every two weeks, where you take your kids and that's their time where you spend as a family, where the dad gets to talk to, you know, lay down the rules, and the kids respect that. But when there's no contact, there's nothing going on, they act out, especially because they don't know what's going on. They don't understand, why can't I see my dad no more? Why do I get to talk to him? And then they act out, and it just breaks down the whole family, like... For example, my sister-in-law, she cries every day. It's a struggle for her every day. It's a struggle for her to get up and go to work. You know, it's a struggle for her just to have the patience with her children. You know, like my nephew, he tends to, like, want to break the house rules now because he feels like, why should he? He doesn't see his dad. His dad's not telling him anything anymore. He doesn't want to listen to his mom. Like, he's, he's upset. So, you know, what do they do? They act out.
2: So you, you are it saying does. that that when uh, these officers put uh, our loved ones under uh, these restrictions, it also affects the family. No sure it does. Talk to it us does. a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about the expenses. Is it a little bit more expensive to have the hobby over there? Oh, how does it work for the family if you have, you know, a poorer family? You in the beginning you couldn't probably afford the uh, legal representation, and now you—is it—is it difficult? Is it how does it
5: work? Oh, well, most definitely, we couldn't afford the legal, the legal fees. My brother didn't have a paid lawyer; he had a appointed lawyer. You know, and it's he he. It was just all bad from the beginning but that's not the point the point is exactly. you know he's there now and we're trying to make the best of it and you know we're trying to keep his mind healthy by supporting him letting him know that we love him visiting you know writing and this,
4: so yeah so, but this is extra effort on your exactly. part i mean now oh yeah it is it crushed. is extra effort on your part to, to do this have you been able to engage with the c d c r and and some of the officials there and um talking with them and what have they told you? Um,
5: i I go on a lot of social media sites I go to their web pages and um to see what they're saying and what their what their view is on everything that's going on and when I do go on there, all I see is negativity they basically it's like them against us they see us out there protesting and they're and I see the comments they're making, and they're like, oh, they're uh, let's just send, like, um, um, ICE unit out there. Oh, they'll all be gone then. They're, they're nothing but wetbacks. Or they're all on welfare. Or they're ignorant. I mean, they, the comments are so racist and so, like, um, hate-geared. It's, oh, my God, it's like, I look at those comments, and I'm like, and these people are the ones taking care of our loved ones? These ones are the ones that are in charge of their safety and security? This is ridiculous. And when I do try to... Um, Talk to them. I make sure that I'm respectful. I make sure that I'm using facts and facts wow. only, and I'm not attacking. And still, I get blocked or um, they delete my comments. Wow. I okay. even try to well, tell them, hey, you know, it's not me against you. It's not, you know, we're not against each other. I'm for you too. I want to see safety and security for every life behind those walls, whether you, whether they reside there or they just work there and get to go home. Safety and security should be the top priority. And, and of course, you have both the realization
2: of how crime hurts, but you also understand how justice could be a healing process, how it could be something that uh, heals up your community if it's done uh, properly. Now you are telling us that we have still a lot of work to do to educate our Mm -hmm. people out there that incarceration is not the key, especially if we have a situation where there is no rehabilitation connected to the incarceration.
5: There's no – I see no rehabilitation. All I see is oppression, and um, they're just reinforcing whatever negative attitudes they came in with by putting them on lockdown, by isolating them, by taking everything away from them, including their families. And with these these gladiators, you know how how, um, it causes stress, they're not able to sleep, they're not able to eat, because they don't know if they're going to be the next one to be – pulled out of their cell and taken to the yards to go fight. And they don't even know if it's usually it's two on two, but sometimes it's been one on two, one on three or three on one. You know, they, you know, and then not only do they have to go out there and be physically abused, but then they get thrown into um, into the hole and they get a, a write-ups, which bring their points up, which make it harder for them to get home faster. Exactly. They take away all their educational uh, programs. That, those things help them to get home faster exactly now they're not they have access to none of that
4: and and what happens when um have you been able to address this because cdcr i mean they 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 there are protocols right they're 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 supposed yes. to be following certain protocols they laugh they at us they are not
5: they laugh at us and they, they, laugh they say at oh allege it we're not doing that they deny it right they deny it they, so they laugh at us they they don't want to hear anything that we have to say. A lot of the comments are like, oh, well, if they want to act like animals, they're going to get treated like animals. Well, last I said, <laughs> animals get treated very well. You can't harm an animal. You'll go to jail or you'll be <laughs> fine. You you know, everybody will be attacking you if you harm an animal.
2: Two right. powerful women wow. talking, yes, Sister Nube and Valerie. We should definitely have Valerie come on again and, and, and talk to us a little bit.
4: Yeah. That would be um, awesome. Uh, uh, Valerie... What what message ultimately is that you would like to convey to the listeners, and how can they help you? This motto that you have of crime hurts, justice heals is really important. Oh yes, I, would you like- asking us on um, what steps to take to help our loved
5: ones? You know, like who to talk to, what routes. Well, they had a quote there. It was called. It was called. It, it said, um, "Crime hurts, justice should heal," and when I read that, it just all fell into place for me. I was like, exactly, that's exactly what needs to happen. This is what I've been, I've been wanting, but didn't know how to put into words. You know, this is exactly, they need to, to promote healing, not further damaging them. Absolutely. So I would, I would Absolutely. Just, my suggestion would be to be aware, to do your research, to educate yourself, to know, not just put your loved ones out of sight, out of mind. You know we need to support them, and vote. You got to vote. You got to you got to know what's going on. You can't just go by what they tell you. Mm-hmm. You got to have your own mind. The only way we going to make change is if we are educated, and we get involved, and we stay involved.
2: So what 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 anti social media do you have? Facebook or Instagram or what is the you know the big uh, way how people can talk to you, see what you're talking about? You know.
5: A uh, Facebook. And mm-hmm. I'm always on Facebook.
2: How did I get? What is your handle? What is your name on it's, Facebook? Um, how people can.
5: It's Valerie. V a l a r i e.
2: V a l a r i e.
5: Oh okay, that let me give you our our actual um our group page good, that's even better yes, okay. that's fabulous, okay, hold on just a second it's um corcoran state prison three c supporters corcoran or you can also state prison and then e?
4: like the number three c yeah three c and then c
5: and then supporters. She's or they can also look up Amanda Corcoran. There's a link there that will take you to that other page.
2: Amanda if, Corcoran. Um, anybody
5: wants to personally talk to me, they can, um, I can give you my uh, email address. They can inbox okay. me. that's good. It's um, frescus, F as in Frank, R-E-S-Q-U-E-S-V
2: at gmail.com. V at gmail.com.
5: Yeah. That's v one V like Vida
4: or V like Valerie?
5: Actually, let me give you my other one. Um, if it's the same email address, but there's a 21 in the front. So it would be 21 frescas and then V at gmail.com. That's the better okay, one.
2: okay Let's use that one. 21frescus, okay. uh, V at gmail.com.
5: Yes, and they can look me up on Facebook also. Um, Valerie Frescus. And it's V-A-L. A R I E. Okay.
2: Go ahead, Nubi.
4: No, fantastic. Thank you um, so much for for sharing that with us. And um, I also um, in terms of education, continued education, please continue folks to, of course, tune into KPOO. Also go yes. to California Prison Focus's website, um, Prisons.org, um, check out our newspaper there. Um, oh, can I, can I say one more thing that I just became aware of? Of course. Please.
5: Please. Okay, I just became aware of this last night. Um, uh, CDCR, they're trying to, like, quietly pass a bill that will allow them... Um, yeah, change regulations. Right now, they do have surveillance, but they're not able to use it against um,
2: in the men. Mm-hmm. So
5: what they're trying to make an amendment to it, and they're trying to quietly do this, is so that they can use um, audio and visu- visu- visual surveillance in all areas... Um, the men are even inside their cells.
2: Because the legal contradiction so, is that men should have been made aware that they are recording. So now they could record without uh, informing people that they are recording.
5: What they're doing, what they're trying to do, is dehumanize them even exactly. further. They're exactly. taking away any little bit of, you know, privacy or whatever that they have, and then and then they're also using that to to collect evidence. To build cases so that these guys can get out. I know. Wow. Okay. Thank Here's you so a, there's much, a, Valerie. A, uh, it, a, I have a link, and then I'll put it. We'll put it on our, our um, on our, our page where they can go. Because we only have till Friday to send emails to um, to tell them no that we don't want this.
4: Okay. Please. Okay. Excellent. You're going to put that on the Facebook website that which is the corporate yeah. state. Yeah, it's campaign. already on there. Actually, three C supporters. Just, Fantastic. Okay. Yes. Um, we'll do our best to to get that out as well. Thank you so yeah. much, Valerie,
2: for Can coming on. And much love, Valerie. Will,
4: thank you. I
5: just want to say today it's on, yeah. my brother that's affected, but tomorrow it could be yours. Exactly. So please, you know, please help us end the hostilities. Bless us. We we you, Ruby. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Really like Oh, I'll sorry to
2: all year on Imaginaries, and also Brother Jim is right here behind me. Bless her Brother Jim. Jim Rigsby, as my sister was talking about, Brother Jim, that's coming on Monday nights. So definitely those oldies, you cannot miss those oldies. Big up, Shia, Brother Jim. So, yes, Nube, I'll give it over to you for a minute, my sis.
4: Thank you so much. Well, we will no longer keep you in suspense. We are going to now start the first segment of the essay from Michael Zaharibudoro from Solitary. We'll tell you more about that as we go through the weeks. Here we go. Michael Zaharibudoro, age 64, born in Cleveland, Ohio, interviewed in Solano State Prison, Vacaville, California. With the exception of the drab prison jumpsuit he wears, Michael Zah Doro looks like an archetypal college professor, with a slight frame, a full head of hair, and light brown eyes framed behind prison-issue bifocals. Zaw is thoughtful and quiet. He has been in various prisons in the California system since the 1970s and is currently serving a sentence from 1985 for a murder that he says he did not commit. Now in general population, Zaw spent nearly 30 years in solitary confinement in various California state prisons. We visit Zah at Solano State Prison, where he is currently incarcerated. Located in Vacaville, California, Solano sits amid rolling green hills thick with oak trees and rows of eucalyptus and palms. Prison rules prevent us from bringing in recording equipment, so we correspond with him priver- primarily via, email, via mail. Excuse me. Through dozens of letters, Zah tells us of his early life in the Watts Housing Projects in Los Angeles and the horrors of being locked up for decades in solitary confinement for his alleged prison gang affiliations. Growing up in Cleveland was special. I have been in prison for almost all of my adult life. I think that sometimes turning your life around requires that you start your life all over again, like being reborn. I was born in 1954. I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. I had one sister, Marnetta. She was a dear friend. She passed away several years ago, and I have one brother, Craig, who is still alive. I grew up in a two-parent home. My mother, Thelma, is still alive. My father, Clarence, passed away two years ago from cancer. I was crushed. My parents were my dearest and most trusted friends. They were married 65 years. Growing up in Cleveland was special. I loved to play baseball. I can remember how a buddy of mine and I would get on the bus and we had the money and go down to Municipal Stadium and watch the Cleveland Indians play. I was a huge fan. Block parties were big then. We would block off the ends of the street. Someone on each end of the street would bring record players and sound systems, and everyone would bring food, and we would have a party until the evening. During the summer, we used to sit out late at night and sing. We all wanted to be The Temptations. We loved Smokey Robinson and The Miracles, too, uh, but no one could hit the notes like Smokey hit. The OJs were very popular when I was growing up in Cleveland, not just because they were bad, but they were also from Cleveland. They lived around the corner from my grandmother's home. I used to stand out in front of their house and listen to them practice. I think this was pretty typical of how it was growing up in inner cities during that time. Surviving was all that mattered. When I was maybe nine or ten, the police mistakenly came to our home, then realized they were at the wrong home. I remember one officer saying, quote, it's just an N-word home, and my mother cursing out the police and my being afraid the police would kill my mother. Oh, I remember the rebellion. It was during the afternoon, and several buddies and I were going to a local park to play baseball. It was a quiet afternoon. There were armed National Guardsmen protecting a bank. The bank sat on a corner, and we were waiting on the light to change. We were told to keep moving, but we couldn't do so until the light changed. One of the guardsmen walked up to one of my buddies, Anthony, and said, N-word, did you hear us? And started to beat him with his rifle. Ah, the streets were a lot different in the 1960s, particularly in Cleveland. Surviving was all that mattered. When and where you will sleep, where your next meal might come from, your next bath. So you think that you must steal from someone in order to eat. You sleep where you can. There was this food place we used to go to at night. It's where I started to get into trouble. I started staying out late. We would go to Akron, Ohio, and steal cars and drive them back to Cleveland. I also stopped going to school, and eventually I started staying away from home. My family did love and support me, but as I got older, I just seemed to drift farther away from my family. And the more I got in trouble, the farther away I would drift. I think this was my way of keeping that part of my life away from my family. My first arrest in Cleveland was for robbery when I was 12, I went to juvenile hall for about three months. It was pretty frightening. I no longer had the shelter of my family. I was around people I knew nothing about, and it didn't take long before I learned that I was in an incredibly racist environment, a very hostile boiling point. When I came home after juvenile hall, my parents began to make arrangements for me to leave Cleveland. My father traveled to Los Angeles to find work, and when he did, my family moved. My father stayed at that same company for 40 years. He was a machinist at a company called Western Gear. It was 1968, and I was 14 years old. I'll never forget when my family and I moved out to California from Cleveland and the disappointment I felt when I learned that we would not be going back home. But I fell in love with Los Angeles almost immediately. I couldn't believe the energy. The streets were full of life. We also traveled to San Francisco where my grandfather lived, and I fell in love with that city, too. My grandfather stayed on the corner of Haight and Ashbury in 1968. I loved the idea of people from different cultures and genders being together and loving each other. It was unlike anything that I thought possible. I used to sit on my grandfather's porch and just watch people. I think that experience made it possible for me to see people at their finest, Kate Ashbery represented to me what humanity was capable of being. So that's our first installment, or our first segment of the essay that we're going to be bringing by Zah over these next four weeks. And I just want to remind people, everyone that's listening out there, that everyone has a story. Zah's story which we will get to know a little bit more about. It's one of millions of people who have stories, whose voices need to come out. And I really, again, want to give thanks to all the people on the front lines of fighting for prisoners' human rights so that we can continue to do this work to bring out these voices and these stories. And um, I want to welcome you back next week to listen to the next installment, this not the installment, I don't want to call it an installment, the next segment. Nube, yeah, let, um, me, let me interrupt story.
2: you and ask you about this book, Six by Ten, Stories from Solitary, edited by Taylor Pendergrass and Matthew Hoke. Let me ask you about this book. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book, just in a couple of uh, minutes, please.
4: Well, um, this book came to me um, just very, very recently. Um, I understand that just this story alone took over two years to to get down because of all the restrictions for um, visiting, just like Valerie was talking about, and, um, and not being able to take in any recording equipment. There are 13 other, uh, sorry, there are 12 other stories in this. Uh, in this book, I encourage people to pick it up. You can go to haymarketbooks dot org, dot org, and of course Amazon. Although I do encourage the first two first, um, but this book um, focuses on um, on solitary, which we know is a form of torture that is being inflicted upon people um, uh, in in our in our prison system, not only men and women, but also children. Um, Very, very important book. And um, I also, one thing that I do want to say as well, California Prison Focus does, um, besides bringing focus to the abuses that are taking place inside of our prisons, we do focus on solitary confinement. And we um, want to... um, let folks know that we are going to be doing a solidarity issue and we want to invite people to weigh in on solitary the yard merging um, all of the things that are happening inside of uh, our nation's prisons and that the deadline to make those contributions is March 20th so I did want to put that in there since we do have a little time Um, but please Please pick up Six by Ten, Stories from Solitary. Very, very important book. Even Heather Ann Thompson, who's a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, said this is a deeply moving and profoundly unsettling book. But I encourage you to continue with your education. Um, As we heard from a family member, um, Valerie, say please invite us to continually become educated. And also then you can follow along next week um, as we all come together again um, to hear the voices of folks on the inside and their family members being affected by this and all of us. I
2: have to tell you, Nube that we are definitely excited to hear more about Zar and his story. Thank you so much for your contribution. We'll be talking again next week.
4: Thank you. See you next week.
2: Bless you,